You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and of course I will answer as many as I can. You know, there was a holiday this week and you may have missed it because we don't really do anything for it. It is called Pesach Sheini. Literally, second Passover. And you're all listening and saying, yeah, either you do know about it, you don't know about it, you missed it, who cares? Um, Its basis is when there was a temple and we could bring the Passover sacrifice. So if a person either was too far away and couldn't make it to Jerusalem for the first Passover, but he could make it a month later, or the person was impure, he was Tameh, so he wasn't allowed to bring a sacrifice on by the first Passover. He is allowed, it's like a makeup. It's one of the few cases where you can, uh, second chance, what we're going to talk about. Um, if you didn't manage to bring your Passover sacrifice on time, a month later you can bring a second, you can bring your Passover on what's called Pesach Sheni or the second Passover. So again, it has very little bearing on our daily lives. We don't really do anything about it. There is a custom. Some people will have matzah. And even that is debatable. Do they have matzah the day you would bring the sacrifice? Do they eat the matzah that evening? In either case, you do, you don't. It's not like it's a command or anything. At best, it's a custom. Um, I'm not even sure where the custom comes from. Some people on purpose do not have any matzah. Um, for those of us that try to watch our carbs or who completely forgot, like me, um, you didn't have any matzah. Um, but what I saw in a few places, and it's just such a beautiful thought. It's been, the, it's been on my mind this whole week. I told it to my class a few times. And that is second chance. This holiday, this Pesach Sheni, is the holiday of second chances. In other words... There's so many of us out there that things don't always go the way we want it. We fall. We trip. We don't act the way we're supposed to act. Maybe our children are not behaving the way we would like them to act. Maybe our children is not as religious as we would like them to be. Pesach Sheini is the holiday of second chances. That is the opportunity. It didn't work first time around. Give it another shot. Try again. Uh, what do we say? Even first, right? You don't succeed. Try, try again. Second chance. And that concept that the Torah allows us to get up when we fall is a is just a fantastic idea. And it's uh, for me personally, it's very uplifting. I, I I I like to talk about. I appreciate the fact that the Torah recognizes that we're not perfect, and it, you didn't manage the first time. Try it again. So that idea of second chance is really very, very important. And I love second chances because it reminds me um, that I told my friend 
um, Barry Shore, who was with us uh, last week, um, he asked me to mention this as often as I could, and since he is my dear friend, I shall. If you go to, I believe it's if you go to Barry Shore, S-H-O-R-E dot com, um, starting May 3rd. So if you're listening to this today, um, it's not up yet. But Amazon will have a fantastic deal uh, on Barry Shore's book. Um, I believe it was called The Art of Joy, I think, by the Ambassador of Joy. Type in Ambassador of Joy, you'll find him. Or Barry Shore, you'll find him. And he he is going to be selling his book as an ebook. Um, the, 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 I don't know exactly how all these things work. But the book costs 99 cents. So for that alone, for 99 cents, for less than a cup of coffee, especially if you like nice coffee, you get a, an amazing book. But better than that, I believe if you do it through his webpage, um, you get reimbursed. You get the dollar back. Or 99 cents back if you want it back. So you get it back. So it's, he wants the world to see this book. He wants everyone to understand, like second chance, right? Things don't always work the way we want it to work. We don't take things the way we should. But if we could bring joy into our lives or joy into the lives of others, um, that is such an amazing healing concept that he just wants to spread it. He wants people to know about it. He wants people to read it. He's not looking to make any money on it. Um, that's why, for the most part, he's giving it away for free. There's some techno- te- technicality why he can't just have Amazon give it away for free. So what they do is they charge you 99 cents, but then there's a rebate to get your money back. Again, if you go through uh, Barry Shore's webpage, you'll figure it out. Well worth it. I, I-, I told Barry we were talking yesterday on the phone. He was supposed to send me my link, which he may have. I just didn't find it yet. Um, I was telling him, I gave that, you know, we talked that he has these cards, be a friend and stuff like that. So I have a boy in class. I had given out the cards a few different times. So most of the boys have either lost it or gave it, brought it home and it's at home somewhere and maybe the parents have it. But I have one boy in class that every day he pulls out those cards and he reads them. You could see that the that what Barry is ta- trying to teach through these cards, be a friend, and what that means to be a friend, he he's just taking it in. He has to keep reading it because it, it it means something to him. And I, I think that gets into this second chance idea. So again, if you have a chance, go to Barry's webpage, um, type in Ambassador of Joy, um, find that book, um, read it. It's well worth the read. Let your children read it. Spread it out. That's all he wants in the book. And uh, second chances. So let's talk about this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion um, is Emar, which literally means to say. And this Torah portion is really jam-packed with laws that relate to the Kohen, to the priest, and to the high priest. That's the first part of the Torah portion. The second part of the Torah portion is holidays. It goes through all the different holidays and rules and regulations and sacrifices. And in the middle, it talks about a tax, which is really a charity. And I don't want anyone to think that in America, when they when they talk about raising my taxes, that they're talking about raising my amount of charity that I give. Um, that is not what I am discussing. But in the Torah... There is a tax, which really is a forced charity. Um, and there's three of them. And they are called in Hebrew, leket, shikha, and peya. What are these three things? So again, in those days, nowadays, I'm not sure what the law would be. Um, but in those days, you let's say we're talking about a wheat field. 
So the farmer has his army of harvesters, and they're going to have their sickles out there, and they're going to grab the wheat, and they're going to cut the wheat, and they're going to bind the wheat, and they're going to take a step forward and cut and bind, and, and they're going to march their way through the field, cutting and, and, and binding up these different uh, bundles of wheat. In the meanwhile, everybody knows when you're going to take that sickle and cut the wheat, there are going to be a few stalks that fall every time you cut. That's called leket. If one or two stalks fall down, the farmer cannot pick it up. He must leave it for the poor person who's actually going to be under their feet. They're going to be right behind because they know, the Torah says, they can keep it. And they're going to march through the field with these harvesters, and that is a forced tax. That will allow the poor people to have some food that perhaps they can put away for the winter. Again, I don't know how much they physically can actually collect how much is really falling, I don't really know. But that is a forced tax, but it is charity, right? It's going directly to the poor person. So, yes, it's a tax. Yes, the Torah says if you pick it up, you owe the money to the poor person. So it's a, it's a, you could call it a tax if you'd like, but it's charity. It is going straight to the poor person. And again, let's not get into taxes, but if you knew that when you had to write your check for $500, $1,000, $2,000, $20,000 to the government, and you knew they took that check, and they immediately sent that check to, I don't know, to a public school to help educate children. They immediately sent that check um, to help people who don't have food. They immediately sent that check to a hospital to help people who can't afford. I don't think it would bother you so much. It just bothers you that there's all the other stuff that uh, gets involved. That's leket. What shikha? So shikha is part two. We we have now a whole field full of bundled, of bundled uh, wheat, and now you got to start collecting these bundles and bringing them either to a different field or to the middle of the field, where you're going to start the threshing winnowing process. Right? We gotta we gotta break the kernels off the stalks and we gotta we gotta throw the stuff into the air and let the 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 stalks blow away and the kernels will come down. That is the threshing and winnowing process. Um, and as I told you, I don't know what happened nowadays. Nowadays you have this machine called the combine. It's like a vacuum cleaner. It just goes through the field and it gobbles up all the wheat. And it separates the chaff and the stalks and the kernels. And it's amazing. But it, now we lose out on how this lekin and shikha work. And I don't really know what would happen. But it is an interesting question to discuss. If somebody knows the answer, send me a, uh, send me a source or at least the law. And I'll find it myself um, to let's talk Torah at gmail.com. I actually would be interested to know what happens. Anyways, while you're gathering all these bundles to bring them to the middle of the field, if you forget one behind you, if one of those bundles gets left behind, you can't take that bundle. It's called shikha, which means forgetting. It's called forgetting that bundle. You cannot take it. You have to leave it for the poor person. Again, um, unlike the leket, the two stalks, one or two stalks that are falling, that's happening all the time. This is probably a little less common. The third part of this tax slash charity is called paya. Paya means a corner. That a corner, usually it's about uh, 
anywhere between two and a half or one and a half um, percent of the, of the field in a corner, the farmer doesn't touch at all. Now, this would work nowadays because the combine machine's not allowed to go there. Now, you're going to rope off that area, and you're going to tell the poor people, this area is for all you guys to take, um, I'm not, I, and the farmer can't even harvest it for them. He just has to leave it. They come with their own sickles, they cut it, and they take it home. We'll, we'll revisit this concept when we talk about the story of Ruth, of Rus, um, in a couple weeks from now. So, it is interesting in this week's Torah portion that this command, these three tax, charity, this mitzvah, right? It is a mitzvah of leket, shikhan, peya, of these three things that we're giving or are being taken by the poor people happens to be right next to the Torah portion about the carbon omer. That was the barley sacrifice brought on the second day of Passover. That's where we start our counting process. So the question is why, what's the juxtaposition? Why is this forced tax next to this sacrifice? I mean, it's a, it's a farmer's mitzvah. What does that have to do with holidays? So there's a lot of answers to this, but I saw a beautiful answer this week. It's a kliyoker. The kliyoker says you need to recognize that in your daily life, you are surrounded by opportunities to do mitzvahs. You want to serve God everywhere you go, everything you do, you have opportunities to easily fulfill commandments from God. I'll say easily. We'll decide on that soon if it's so easy or not. For example, you plow your field. Torah says, but don't plow with an ox and a donkey that are hitched up together. You're not allowed to do that. Then you got to plant. Make sure you're not planting double species. You plant wheat by itself, the barley by itself, the, um, the grapes by themselves, the olive trees by themselves, the tomato patches by themselves. When you harvest, what we've been talking about is leket, peya, right? In other words, you're surrounded by commands. Now, there's a, as a side, he says, so what, what's the connection though to the Omer? So he says, the connection is that if I'm telling you that as I am taking care of my field, I am surrounded by mitzvos, a person could think, hey, this field, I'm taking the, the special Omer sacrifice. So if I'm anyways doing a mitzvah in this field, maybe that covers me and I don't have to do other mitzvos in this field. So maybe I get to pick and choose what mitzvah I feel like doing as long as I'm doing a mitzvah in the field. On that, the Torah tells you no. I gave you an additional mitzvah on this field to take the Omer sacrifice. That does not affect in any way the mitzvah of leaving the leket and shikha and peya for the poor person. Now we can keep going, right? You, you got your pile of wheat before you start taking it. You have to do more tax charity. You have to give some to the Kohen. You have to give some to the Levite. Okay. The Rechaim says, on this same question, he says, if you keep these commands, the leket, the shikha, the peya, so God says, I look at it as if you built a temple or the temple and you brought a sacrifice. Why? Because maybe it's not so easy. Maybe when the farmer is watching his, his harvesters cut the wheat that he's put in so much sweat 
and effort and time and in the rain and in the heat and and uh, all the difficulties that come along, he could think to himself, hey, you know, why is that poor person taking my hard-earned stuff? If he wants to make money, let him go get his own field. Let him share. Let, let him become a sharecropper. Let him hire himself out. Who gives him the right to just be poor and take stuff from my field where I worked hard? A person could think that way. And the Torah wants to make sure that we do not think this way. And therefore, um, the Torah says, remember, if you do the stuff that I'm telling you to do, you do it properly, then uh, the Torah says you, you brought a sacrifice. That's amazing. That is just amazing. I'm looking at my time, and I have three different things I want to talk about, so I'm going to skip one for now. And if I have time... I'll get back to it. It's a good story, but we'll see. I know I got seven minutes. Thank you, Kelsey. Anyways, I told my class the following story. It's really a parable. I actually saw it in a few different places this week. I actually saw it in two different ways. One, it was a written story. One, it was a, somebody turned it into a like a video clip. Um, but it's a beautiful story slash parable. So there's an older gentleman, um, he's brought into a hospital room, and he sees there's somebody on a bed uh, across, uh, he's sharing the room with somebody, but for whatever reason, this gentleman that's getting wheeled in, he cannot sit up in bed. He has to lie flat, whatever the situation was, uh, maybe the nurses have to come and turn him a few times a day, but he cannot move. He cannot lift his head, he cannot sit up, but his neighbor, he notices um, that once a day, the nurses come and they, I guess they hit those buttons, and his bed is propped up, and he can look around. So the man that's prone, that's lying flat, says to his neighbor, he says, I see they let you sit up. I mean, that's all I can see. Um, by chance, is there a window next to your bed? And the man says, yes, there is. He says, wow, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Wow, you must love it. He says, yes, it's beautiful. So the man who's lying flat says to his neighbor who's sitting up, he says, can you describe to me what you see? It's it's so boring here. I guess they didn't have televisions in the room or whatever they have. Um, It's so boring here. I'm sitting here. I wish I I had a window to see into the outside world. So the man sitting up says, I'll be your eyes. I'll tell you it's out the window. Oh, that is so beautiful. That is so kind. What do you see? Well, I see a boy, and he's he's walking, um, and he has a blue shirt, and he has jeans on, and he has sneakers, and he's holding his mother's hand, or it looks like his mother at least, and they're taking a stroll. Wow, wow, that's so, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yes, there's a sidewalk, and they're, they're walking grass on both sides, and now I see them sitting down on a park bench or or whatever it is, they're sitting down, and, and I see the the mother has some snack, and she's giving it to her son. Wow, what else do you see? Well, um, a little further off to the side, um, I see an older gentleman that's in a wheelchair, and he's being pushed by, looks like maybe his daughter. Wow, wow, that's so beautiful, that's so amazing. And every day for the next three weeks, um, for the hour or so that the... 
the man was sitting up in his bed, he would describe everything he saw to the man who was prone. Well, one day, the uh, the man who's lying flat, he wakes up in the morning, and maybe he calls out, or he sees his neighbor um, is not there. Who's going to tell him what's happening in the outside world? So when the nurse comes in, he says, Nurse, um, what happened to my roommate? Oh, I'm so sorry to tell you, sir. Your roommate passed away last night. We didn't make a lot of noise. We just brought him out, and um, he passed away. Oh, that's terrible. We every, Do you know what that man did for me every day? No, please tell me, the nurse said. Every day, he, when you propped him up, he would tell me what he sees in the outside world. He would tell me what's happening in the park and the... And the, and the pond and the trees and the dogs and the children and the adults. And now I have no one to tell me what's happening. So she says, wow, that, that's really amazing, sir, because um, the man that was your roommate was blind. He couldn't have seen what was outside the window. So I told this story over to my class. And I asked my class, I said, when you hear this story, it's a very good feel-good story, right? It's a beautiful story. What do you feel? What do you learn from this story? What do you learn? So, I, you know, oh, he has imagination. He shared his imagination. But, you know, it's, does it really hurt when there's somebody who's suffering and he, and he wants you to share your time and he wants to feel good does it really hurt you to, to share and spend some time? Of course, the guy can say, oh, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I'm suffering myself. What do you want for my life? Well, I don't have to tell you I'm blind. I have to tell you I'm blind for. You, you can't see me. You don't know I'm blind. I can help you. I can use my imagination. It doesn't really matter if there's a window here or if there's a blank wall here. But I can entertain you, I can lift up your spirits, I can make you feel good, and I don't even have to tell you I'm blind. And everybody wins. And I just, when I, when, I, when I read this story this week, I just felt it just such a beautiful story, and it's perfect timing because we've been discussing, this is the time when, when maybe Akiva's students, uh, the 24,000, they died, and... Um, and the reason they died is because they didn't show the proper respect for each other. They didn't, I guess they didn't show the proper love for each other. And here, right, that's what we need during these days. We need to bring out that love, that joy, which, of course, also brings us back to that book I told you you should all go pick up or you don't pick up an e-book. So um, however you, uh, you read e-books on your Kindle or whatever it is, go pick up that book from Barry Shore. You will not be disappointed. You will, it, and it's a, and it's a beautiful read. But there's some, there's, there's like some deep stuff there. You take your time, read the book, enjoy the book. You will, you will not be disappointed. Um, and as we keep trying to do, we keep trying to talk in this time. We said there's 48 ways to acquire Torah. At the end of each show during this time period, we're trying to get through as many as we can, and today, if today is 33, we only have a couple weeks left to get through as many as we can. So, um, one of them is called, uh, the English word is composure. The Hebrew word is yishuv, like yishuv adas. It means I'm calm, I'm cool, I'm collected. You need a settled mind to properly study Torah. 
Your mind needs to be clear. When, 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 if you want to be able to learn something and retain it, if your mind is clear, very easy. If your mind is unsettled, you can't concentrate. And if you can't concentrate, you can't study. If you can't study, you can't learn. Now, it is interesting, by the way, and I've seen it with my own children, that there's things that are bothering them or in class. If a student is troubled about something, you might as well talk to the wall because he is not taking in what you're trying to teach. His brain is elsewhere. We need a settled mind to be able to study. And we also need more time, but we don't have any more time because my music is playing. And I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do it without you. Thank the wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.